How are you all today? I hope that you enjoy our, our sermon for today. It's just simply looking for reasons to celebrate. And we are a people that enjoy celebrating, I think. I think there's something inherent about who we are that we, we want to rejoice. We want to celebrate. We want to reflect on the good things of life and of faith and share that with others. So today we're going to talk about celebrating and celebration. I hope when you came in today, either going to, to life groups or even here to worship, we published a second glance on, uh, on second and third Sundays, or depending on how the calendar falls. And there's some reasons to celebrate. If you remember last week was Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, we celebrated that and the, the, the culture that we live in, certainly a football game, but we had our own version of that in, in uh, reflecting on uh, on world hunger and what we could do as a people to, uh, to, to take care and to support, feed the children and the work that they do and to put that in our minds of how we can constantly be reminded of our need to share and to give to others. And uh, we asked you to, to give an offering for those that stayed for lunch and even those that uh, weren't able to stay. And uh, our offering was right at uh, $2,400. So that'll be shared with Feed the Children as they do their work locally and internationally. And that's a reason to celebrate. Also notice in, down towards the bottom of that, um, we are ready to announce today that we have totally and completely paid off our Ignite Capital Campaign. That, isn't that great? Yeah. Um, I was told that that check came in the, in the offering today during Sunday school or during church. Someone brought it by that officially got us over what we owed. So we began that building program in 2013 and we began the capital raising for that in 2012. So in just over, over four years, we as a congregation raised $3.2 million dollars to help do some needed and important renovations in our church. And that church is worth celebrating. And we'll look at some ways we can do that more formally and, and, and officially here in the next weeks. But that's a significant time for us. And so we want to rejoice and celebrate God's goodness, His faithfulness, His generosity through you and through everyone who has shared in giving and sacrificing to make that possible. Now, some people have asked, well, what if we continue to give to Ignite? Well, that money will stay in a, a, a kind of a, a capital building fund. Uh, certainly our next desire is over after a few months or the appropriate time is to begin to, to look at what we can do in our children's area. In the west side of our education space that so desperately needs to be updated and upgraded and renewed as well. And so if you've been giving, continue to give if you'd like to. As those funds will accumulate, give us some startup funds for that account. And also, as we've talked about, we continue to have some, some struggles and shortfalls in our ministry plan area, our budget area. So if maybe you'd like to maybe shift some of that giving over into our ministry plan uh, so that God can use that to support our ongoing ministries um, as we serve our community and as we share the gospel literally through the, throughout the nations through First Baptist Church. So it's a time to celebrate God's goodness and His generosity and so I wanted to share those two uh, opportunities with you today. And I want to tell you a story. A story that I was able to, to celebrate. And it, it didn't dawn on me at the time how special and how holy this particular moment was. I was in the office on Wednesday. 
and I was studying and preparing for today, and I, I try to, to, to be uninterrupted during that time, and, and yet we had someone come up to the office that uh, uh, is a friend, is part of our friendship community, and, and, uh, and we've had a chance, he and I have had a chance to, to walk through some difficult times together, and, and to cry together, and, and to be angry together, and to also to share good things, and to share some, some, some uh, successes and, and joys of life as well. And he came by, and, and I, I really didn't have time, but I, I said, I, I can come out and meet, meet with you for just a few minutes, and, and we can pray together. And, and so I came out into the office foyer, and he was smiling, and I knew something was up. And he said, Pastor, he said, I got a new truck. I said, really? Because I, I knew the story of how he lost his other truck and how that was really... A, part of the way that he gained his income and in hauling junk and and going through junk and recycling things and so he came he said I got a new truck I said really tell me about it and so he began telling me that the about how he was able to get his truck and he said it's out in the parking lot you want to go see it yeah let's go see it so we walked out in the parking lot and and a really sharp looking truck and and he began to tell me about it we walked around as we waking our way around and stopped right there at the door and he unlocked the front door of the, of the truck. I said, man, this is a great looking truck. And he handed me the keys. He said, here, pastor. And I got in and I started up the truck and oh, it sounded so nice. And we just celebrated. And we had a, a time of prayer right there in the parking lot, thanking God for his goodness and for the way that he provided this transportation, but also had provided for, for him to be able to earn some money to take care of himself. Oh, church, we need, to, we need to celebrate. We need to learn how to celebrate. We need to take advantage of every opportunity that we can celebrate. As we've been talking about who's my neighbor, We've gone back to that, that foundational passage that Jesus says of the great commandment that we're to love God with all that we are and we're to learn to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I don't know about you, but one of the ways that we love ourselves, right, is, is we enjoy celebrating. We enjoy celebrating those accomplishments and, and milestones of life. We enjoy celebrating a graduation or we enjoy celebrating a promotion. And we want others to be included in that. And that's, that's an expression of, of a healthy expression, can be a healthy expression of loving ourselves. How much more so to love our neighbor as ourselves to learn and practice celebrating with others when they accomplish things and when they walk through milestones and when they have birthdays and anniversaries. Create something new. Accomplish something fantastic. Church, let's become a people who because of what Christ has done in us, that we can learn to celebrate with others. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 5. We've been in Luke's gospel over these last weeks and focused in Luke chapter 10 those first few weeks. Last week we went to, I think, Luke 16. And today we're, we're back in Luke 5. And, and we'll see this beautiful Christian practice of celebrating with others. Luke, in these few verses, 27 through 32 offers us the story, the narrative of Matthew or Levi becoming one of the followers of Christ. 
After that, Jesus went out. Well, after what? Well, it looks like as we read the account here in Luke, as we read the story in Matthew, as Matthew shares this story, that Jesus was in that area of Capernaum. That was the area that Jesus based uh, most of his, his ministry out of, except when he was headed to Jerusalem or in Jerusalem. Usually he was around the Galilee area. It allowed him to travel in um, uh, Capernaum area. Capernaum was, was north of, right on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And, and when we were in Israel this fall, this, this fall we learned that, that there's four rivers that begin to come together north of Syria and begin to make their way down into the, the Sea of Galilee, and they kind of converge there in that Capernaum area. And along those riverbeds are, are pathways and trails that people from different countries would, would begin to use and from different places would begin to use to make their way down into Israel, even down into Jerusalem, to Tiberias. And so Capernaum was right there in that key strategic place. If you went uh, uh, on around to the, to the east, you would, would end up in what's today Jordan. In Scripture, Bethsaida would be in that area. If you came back west... You would make your way around the Sea of Galilee to Tiberias, and then you could travel on down into, um, on up into uh, to Nazareth area, even on down south into Jerusalem in, in that way. So Capernaum was a, right there was a key spot. It was, a, it was a, almost a crossroads. It was a place where a lot of people were coming through. And so they were there in Capernaum. And after that, after he was there in Capernaum and, and, and he was lived there and, and, and ministered there, particularly was in and out of the, the synagogue there, after that, Jesus went out there from Capernaum, right there on the coast, and he noticed a tax collector named Levi, or Matthew, sitting in the tax booth. So there you have these travelers coming through, and, and the Roman authorities had set up a tax booth. And so whenever these different travelers would come through, we're all from Oklahoma, right? We know what tax toll booths are, right? Whenever you're driving along the road, there's on the highways in Oklahoma, there's a good chance you're going to have to pay a toll. Well, that's the same thing here. And Matthew was the toll collector there. And as people would come through, there'd be a toll for using the road. There'd be probably a, a toll for whatever goods and supplies that you were, you were carrying through. And so that was Matthew's job. He was the toll collector, the, the tax collector there right at the, at the Sea of Galilee there by Capernaum. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. And Matthew left everything behind and he got up and he began to follow Jesus. And Levi, or Matthew, gave a big reception, a big celebration for Jesus in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people. Gotta love that, those other people, right? We're gonna talk about who those other people are in a little bit, who were reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, they began grumbling, grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and the sinners? Well, there's who the other people are, right? They're the sinners. And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, or the so-called righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's interesting that as this story begins, the first question or the first opportunity that Levi has is to come and to love God fully. 
Isn't that what we talked about? The great commandment is to love God with all that you are. And here, as we're introduced to Matthew, in the first few verses, lines of being introduced to Matthew, the invitation from Jesus comes to Matthew to come and follow me. Luke's Luke's story of Matthew begins with the invitation for Levi to come and follow God fully and totally and completely. Now, it's interesting that the Scripture says that Jesus saw Levi. Jesus saw this tax collector. This word saw means more than just just a glance. Just, oh, I I see that person over there. No, this this word is a little bit more in-depth than that. This word implies that Jesus noticed. Jesus observed this tax collector. Jesus had observed Matthew. Have you ever observed someone that really enjoyed what they were doing or really did a good job of it, and you just kind of sit back and you, and you watch them? Especially if they're interacting with people, there's a, there's a grace and there's a, there's a rapport and a charisma, and it's just fascinating to watch someone work when they're doing it well. At a restaurant, to watch a waiter or waitress who, who enjoys what they're doing and, and does it well and, and serves or maybe even at a grocery store, a, a, a cashier who, who does her or his work well. And you just kind of sit back and you observe and watch. Or have you ever seen someone that, that does that relationally? That just is fascinating to watch in relationship with others. And you can tell they're really connected and engaged and their full attention is, is on that person. And, and to sit back and to notice and to watch that. I can't help but believe that that's what this text is trying to tell us, is that Jesus noticed Levi. He he noticed Matthew. He noticed this tax collector. He noticed the way he did his work and the way he, he treated people. You see, many places in the gospel and historically in Jewish culture, the tax collector gets a bad rap. And I'm certainly not saying that there weren't tax collectors that, that abused the system and that they were unjust and they, were, they were, were really kind of traitorous towards their Jewish people. But you get the impression here in Luke's gospel that that's not what Luke wants us to understand about Matthew. That, that Matthew was, 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 was a good guy. He was, he was doing his job. He was collecting tolls. And he was doing it in a way that Jesus noticed and observed See, Luke, whenever Luke mentions tax collector, he, he mentions them favorably. He mentions them in, in the relationship with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is out preaching. And the tax collectors come. And they repent. And they're baptized. Even Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And, and, and even though we can imagine some of the, the, the stories of Zacchaeus in the encounter that Luke provides for us, which we're going to talk about next week, Luke is seen repenting, and Luke is see, I'm sorry, Zacchaeus is seen repenting and, and helping the poor and helping those by making amends to those he may have, have been dishonest with. And so for Luke, a tax collector is not necessarily a bad person. And Jesus has noticed Matthew and said, Matthew, come and follow me. Come and be my disciple. And the scripture says in verse 28 that Matthew followed Jesus, that he left everything behind. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? Isn't that descriptive? Matthew left everything behind. Church, 
That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And yet, how many of us would offer that same witness that that when we decided to follow after Jesus, that we left everything behind? Matthew was an, an agent of the Roman government. He left his post. He could never return to that work again. Matthew left everything. The fishermen, well, they left their boats and their nets, but you know what? There were more nets and boats that they could always return to. They always had the option of returning back to their their work of being a fisherman. Matthew, when he chose to get up, And to leave his booth to follow Jesus literally left everything behind. He left behind his way of life. He left behind that old way of life and he began to walk in a new life. He began to walk as a follower of Christ. He began to walk in a new direction that he had never walked before. Quite literally... Matthew began a new life. Doesn't follow me really mean to repent? You see, Matthew had to, to, begin, had to walk in a new way. He had to begin a new life. He had to give up what was old and what, was, what he was familiar with. And he turned around, he got up, and he began to walk in a new way. He began to follow a new Lord. He began to practice new, a new way of life. Isn't that what repentance is? Repentance means that you get up and you walk in a way, in a direction, in a life that you have never walked before. You get up and you walk with Jesus. And you leave everything else behind. Isn't that what Matthew has done? And then look and see what his response was. His response wasn't second guessing. His response wasn't grief and and, and sadness. His response, his first response was, let's celebrate. I'm going to have a reception. I'm going to have a party at my house. And I'm going to invite all my co-workers, all my fellow tax collectors. And I'm going to invite all the other people, i.e. the people who wouldn't be invited anywhere else to go to a, a reception or a celebration. The Pharisees tell us the sinners, it's the people of of no or ill repute, bad reputation, women and men of shady character who are considered unclean and dirty and unwelcome in society. And Matthew was so excited that he'd met Jesus that his first response was, I'm going to have a huge reception. I'm going to invite all my friends and neighbors and co-workers to come and have dinner and meet Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that fantastic? The scripture says we're to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Matthew was rejoicing in the Lord and he wanted his friends and neighbors to share that with him. Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is my strength. And Matthew, in the strength of of the Lord and, and of a new life, invited his friends and neighbors and co-workers to come and to celebrate. 
We love to celebrate significant milestones and accomplishments in life. And Matthew understood that this was one of those. And so he had a big celebration and he invited folks to come and share with him. We want to share celebration we want to f- with, with our friends. We want to focus our celebration heavenward and give thanks and rejoice in the Lord. We want to re- rejoice and have our strength renewed as we celebrate life. Again, who did Matthew invite to his little celebration? The people who typically wouldn't be invited to anything like that. And then in an interesting that Luke wants us to make sure we know that there were grumblers outside. The religious leaders. Isn't that interesting that the religious leaders typically tend to be the grumblers, right? Now that was a, a, a culture in society where there was no air conditioning, so the windows were open. And maybe Matthew had a courtyard. He was a tax collector, so I imagine he had some wealth. And so he invited these people to his estate. And you can just see... The grumblers, you can see the Pharisees and, and, and their scribes who were with him knew that Jesus was there. And you can see him standing across the street at the corner with their arms folded going, yep, yep, Jesus is in there with those sinners, with those tax collectors. And they just grumble, 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 right? Gosh, why are the religious people like you and me? Why are we always the grumblers? Maybe that's why we're just half full today. Maybe if we learn how to celebrate and to rejoice in the good things of life, the world around us would say, wow, we're missing something there, aren't we? Matthew invited the sinner and the tax collector to come. Now let me offer a clarification. Pharisees said, well, Jesus, you know, why do you eat and drink with the sinners? Celebration in the kingdom of God is opposite of the hedonism of this world and specifically of our culture. Hedonism is the demand for personal pleasure and gratification, the fulfillment of the lust of the flesh, even at the expense of others. Hedonism follows the law of diminishing returns in that what satisfies today will never satisfy tomorrow. In the kingdom of God, however, celebration is the gathering of people to exercise our ability, our God-given ability to see, to feel, and to experience the goodness of God and His wonderful gifts of life and of fellowship with each other. This is what Matthew invited his friends and his others to experience and celebrate. So they were eating and they were drinking and they were celebrating with Jesus. They were were meeting Jesus. And I'm sure he was sharing about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And it was a glorious time to celebrate the good things of life and of faith and the possibilities of life and of faith. And wasn't a hedonistic act of numbing yourself to life. In this place. Who is my neighbor? We were asking. Who is my neighbor? My neighbor is the person who needs a neighbor. Isn't that what we learned in the story of the Good Samaritan? 
When, when the scribes and the Pharisees asked, well, who's my neighbor? Well, it's the guy laying here on the side of the road that's been beaten and needs a neighbor to stop and help him. Jesus, how can you eat with those sinners? Well, maybe it's because they need a neighbor. In 531, Jesus says, it's not those who need a physician that need a neighbor, but those who are sick. It's not the, the, the healthy and, and, and wise and, and, and righteous that you think you are that need a physician. It's the people that are sick. It's the sinner that needs a neighbor. It's the sinner that needs a physician. Jesus isn't disagreeing with the Pharisees that Matthew's guests are sinners. But there's one significant difference. For the Pharisees, sinners are contaminated and must be avoided at all costs. For Jesus, sinners are those in need who are able to be helped. Sinners are those who need a physician. Sinners are those who need a neighbor willing to stop alongside of the road. Sinners are those that need someone just to invite them over to celebrate something worthwhile. Who is my neighbor, Jesus would ask. Verse 32. I think our neighbors are the persons that need to repent. And could it be that eating and celebrating are part of God's healing work of grace and of forgiveness and of redemption. And maybe if this is true, this is why Luke over and over again in his gospel is telling us of stories of banquets and of celebrations and of inviting one and all to the banquet table. In Luke chapter 15, Luke 15 is the, the chapter of the lost things, right? Of the lost coin and of the lost sheep and of the lost son. But Luke chapter 15 is also the chapter of the found sheep and the found coin and the found son. And do you know what happens in each one of those stories when something is found? There's a celebration that takes place. The neighbors are called and the friends are called and said, what was lost is now found and let's celebrate. For Luke, celebration is an expression of life and of love and of an invitation to forgiveness and of repentance. In Luke chapter 14 Luke puts it this way, when you give a reception or hold a celebration, don't just invite your friends and your relatives and the rich who can return the favor. Rather, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind because they cannot repay you. And a few verses later, Luke says this, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come to the banquet Compel them to come to the celebration. Luke offers us a picture of repentance, not through hell and fire and condemnation, but through communing and banqueting with the sick and the hurting and the sinful. The kingdom of God in Luke is here in this story, it is symbolically and prophetically proclaimed, received and realized as we sit around the table together. 
in that experience is an experience of repentance as we sit around the table with Jesus. So who is my neighbor? My neighbor is the person who needs to celebrate. As Christians, we must learn more and more and more to practice the gifts of celebration and hospitality and to celebrate those gifts with our neighbors. Matthew gave a big reception for Jesus where? In his house. So how, is it, how, how are you using your, your house, your, your residence to connect and to reach out and to minister and to celebrate with your neighbors? That's one of the conversations that we're having as a church is what does it mean to be a neighbor and who is my neighbor? Well, what if we started with the people that just live around us? And what if we began to invest our, ourselves in their lives in their, in, and in conversations with them that we began to knew how and when to celebrate with them, to banquet with them, to reception with them. Church, we live in a culture that suffers from despair and depression and loneliness. And celebration is a spiritual practice that finds its way through us in the midst of our own struggles. And celebration offers us victory over the epidemic of depression and sadness that goes on in our communities and in our neighborhoods. Now again, celebration is the expression of life. It's the celebration of life. It's not an escape from life. It's not an escape from life like drunkenness and immorality and other life-robbing addictions. Rather, celebration is life-giving and life-expressing. Church, we need to find ways to celebrate with those at work, with those in our neighborhoods, with those in our families. Here at church, Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Celebrate in the Lord always. So what if as part of our spiritual practice as Christians, we begin to celebrate more purposefully rites of passage? When, when the neighbor down the street gets their driver's license, celebrate. When the neighbor down the street graduates from college or high school or, or, or whatever school they're going to, celebrate with them. Celebrate the things we celebrate in our culture. Celebrate accomplishments. Celebrate when someone creates and does something new and exciting. Celebrate birthdays and anniversaries. Celebrate whenever you get the chance. And get to know your neighbors in such a way that you can learn to celebrate with them. Will and I have the wonderful privilege of coaching an upward basketball team. First and second graders. We've got six boys on our team, and, and one, of, one of my goals through the season is to make sure that everyone scores a basket. Now, that's a big deal in first and second grade basketball because sometimes it's just hard enough to get it to the basket. So we work on passing, and we work on shooting, and, and we work on trying to pass the ball to each other during the game. And it's, I mean, we celebrate when we're able to just pass it to each other. But we're, we're a little, I guess we're about halfway through the season or so. We've got three of our boys that have scored baskets. And so yesterday, 
we had a couple of our boys there that hadn't scored yet. And so we, uh, after we got into the game and, and our guys that do lots of scoring and scoring, I said, okay, now we're going to try to pass the ball and get one of our other guys some shots so they can get a basket. And sure enough, we'd pass the ball around, and finally it got into the hands of one of our boys. And he was right there by the basket, and he shot the ball, and it went in. And we celebrated. It was just a silly basket, but he, he made it. And we'd been trying to get him to score, and so we celebrated. And at the end of the game, and upward, they do a great job. We give out stars. And there's an offensive star that's gray. And we have decided that that star is going to be given out whenever you make your first basket. And so we were gathered around and we were giving out stars. And he knew it was coming. And we gave him his gray star. And the boys and the parents, we celebrated because he made a basket. Church, that's what we're called to do as followers of Christ. To love God with all that we are. And to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And we love to celebrate. And so don't we think that our neighbors would like to celebrate as well? Let's find reasons. Let's find those made baskets of life that we can celebrate with each other. And throw a party. Throw a banquet. And rejoice. To love our neighbor as we love ourselves means that we learn to celebrate with each other. Church, let's find reasons to celebrate with each other. But even more so, let's find reasons to celebrate with the tax collectors and sinners and neighbors of our community and of our world. And invite them to the table and introduce them to a redemptive way of life through Christ in a gracious and loving and compassionate way. Let's pray.